0: Welcome to Dead Pilot Society, the show that takes comedy pilots from A-list writers that were sold and developed at networks but never produced, and gives them the table reads they never got a chance to have. I'm Andrew Reich, the creator and co-host of Dead Pilot Society. Okay, this is our first separate after-show episode. Uh, We give Dead Pilots table reads, and we also bring you interviews with the creators. So hopefully... You've already listened to the Spacebound table read, or maybe you don't mind spoilers and you want to listen to the interview first and then listen to the table read with all of the information you've gotten from the interview. That's cool too. Either way, I am just happy that you're here to listen to my interview with the brilliant and charming Emerald Fennell. Emerald was the showrunner of season two of Killing Eve. She's, uh, as an actress, she also, she played nurse Patsy Mount on Call the Midwife and Camilla Parker Bowles on The Crown. And she is also the writer and director of Promising Young Woman, which has been nominated for four Golden Globes, Best Screenplay, Best Director, Best Motion Picture Drama. She also picked up a a nomination uh, for a Writers Guild Award for Best Screenplay. So uh, so many great insights into the writing process To be had here I love how she talks about how her scripts Often begin with just a vivid scene That pops into her head Uh, This is a great one So without further ado Here is my conversation with Emerald Fennell Hey there beautiful people Did you hear that good good news? Something about the baby Jesus? Mm, He's coming back! Or do you mean the fact that <laughs> Apple Podcasts has named Santi One of the best shows of 2020 I mean we already knew that we was hot stuff But a little external validation Never hurts okay Hosted by me Writer and journalist Jared Hill And me the Ebony and Trantress myself Javel <laughs> <laughs> Anderson Fanti is your home for complex conversations about the gray areas in our lives, the people, places, and things we're huge fans of, but got some anti-feelings toward. You name it, we you. Nobody's off limits. Check us out every Thursday on MaximumFun.org or wherever you get your slay-worthy audio. I mean, we're here the day after you just were nominated for... Best Motion Picture Drama, Best Director, Best Screenplay. Carrie Mulligan got a Best Actress nomination. I mean, that is so incredible. Thank you. Uh, um, and maybe it's a relief that even though I'd be happy to just talk about Promising Young Woman uh, the whole time, maybe it's a relief not to talk about Promising Young Woman and to talk about Spacebound.
1: It's really nice to talk about Spacebound.
0: It's so funny. I just had my... My morning coffee because it's morning here. And now every morning I think nice brown coffee. <laughs> so thanks, thanks for that. Yeah. Um in in some of the interviews I've read about the the film, I know you talk about that. There was a scene that sort of just came to you that you know, an opening scene of of, of your lead just sort of suddenly being sober and saying, What are you doing? Was there anything like that with spacebound? What was the germ of spacebound? Do you remember?
1: I think the Gem of Space spacebound was the same thing I think it was the coffee shop scene it was kind of the opening yeah the opening scene with a with a kind of uh, this these kind of three weird people in a coffee shop and I suppose somebody must have cut in line or I don't know maybe a guy was being a douchebag in a coffee shop and I I probably thought like ugh I wish I could put my put my hand on him and just explode him the it's usually something it usually comes from a bit of like <laughs> idle violence <laughs> um, and so yeah so I think the first thing probably was was G456 in the coffee shop exploding that guy but I think more generally I wanted to um, I, I love a fish out of water comedy and so I was sort of, you know, thinking about all those great, like, movies that I watched when I was little, like Splash and Enchanted and all of those sorts of things, which have these kind of incredibly guileless female characters who, you know, find, them, find themselves in this kind of extraordinary modern world. And it just felt like such a fun opportunity to, to talk about the stuff that I love talking about, really, which is why we are the way we are. And I think having an alien who's actually quite savvy, in spite of her kind of childlike wonder, she's actually not an idiot. Um, but and to have, for people to have to explain why rules are different for different people and all that kind of stuff just seemed like an incredibly fun premise, and 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 a really fun opportunity for a, an old-fashioned like apartment share comedy too. I think
0: right. Um, that's fine. You know, splash is something certainly that I thought of, you know, when, when I read it and that you, you have this fish out of water who happens to be this, a beautiful woman. And so what that does to that fish out of water story and how people react to her. Um, and it's funny, again, in light of the film, you know, I think about how Dan behaves with her and how he, you know, your, your guys in this are certainly, uh, a bit more gentlemanly, even, even Phil as awful as he is, um, is, you know, tells Dan like that woman is crazy. You know, he, he's the voice of, come on now.
1: Oh, definitely. I think they're like, it's interesting. I think certainly when it comes to sort of sitcoms and the sitcoms that I really love that are kind of ensemble pieces, like obviously friends, um, but Parks and Rec and the American office and you know, 30 Rock and the shows that I watch again and again and again and again, everyone's nice, or at least everyone is redeeming. You know, you can't, you don't really want to watch a comedy about a bunch of people that you really hate. I mean, because even around development, which I would say every single person in that show is an abomination. You love all of them deeply. In fact, the more awful they are, the more you love them. So it's kind of, Maybe that's the exception that proves the rule. But for me, yeah, but creating a world and, and part of space band was was trying to just make everyone lovable. And also, you know, the, I suppose the kind of wider premise of it is that a bunch of people who have no idea how to be humans successfully. Venetia, who's just like a space cadet baby doll, um, sort of millionaire's daughter and Phil who's just kind of in complete denial about the kind of person he is and Dan who's just incapable of making any decisions or you know just kind of terrified of life. So it sort of seemed like a really nice thing for somebody to have to be taught by teachers who had no idea what they were doing.
0: Right yeah just her you know Venetia being the female role model seems deeply problematic. Um,
1: Well, originally I wrote Venetia because I wanted to, because I wanted to do it. (laughs) Um, But then Lolly did the reading and then, then, you know, thinking about your reading and I just think Lolly is the funniest. I think she's probably one of the funniest actresses in the world. And so I thought I just, you know, I think she'd be amazing. And now I've seen that. I'm just like, no one ever, ever must ever do it except for her. She's so funny and it's so fun. You know, what's so exciting about your podcast is that, you know, all of these pilots that we write and that just get, you know, chewed up by the system and fairly, you know, that's the way it goes. um, You never really get, you never get to hear them. Unless you're lucky enough to have gotten to that stage, but, you know, certainly our script didn't get to that stage. So I'd never heard it. So it's just such a, such a joy
0: that's the whole point of what we do and it's why we take you know scripts that weren't shot because if they were shot as disappointing and in some cases it is it's almost more painful when you make it and then it doesn't go but on the other hand you got to cast it you got to hear you got to pick the actors you got to hear it read you got to see it shot and you know so the point of this is exactly what you're saying it's just like we you slave away for for so long on these things and then you just never get to hear it read aloud except sort of in your own head and um and you know and in the case of yours just to hear that cast that you really helped us put together was just uh, extraordinary um, so speaking of you know, so, so tell me a bit about the origin of it and uh, how you you pitched it and what its journey was through the process.
1: Well, I I don't really pitch things; I just write the script. Okay. So I'm not very good at pitching um, because I did well. For, I mean, a million reasons, but also I think it's kind of the moment it's done. I'm already out of there in a weird way. Like the moment it's down on paper, I'm out of there (laughs) like in my brain. Not that I don't love doing notes and revisions and stuff, but like if I find this, I find the kind of slightly backwards way that we, we are expected to do it, which is to discuss it until you're sick of it. And then to write it down just kind of kills it for me personally and creatively. So I, yeah, so I just write stuff and I've, you know, written millions of things that are just, diabolically bad and they don't ever go anywhere. People just say, like, no, but this was one of the ones that I think you know people liked. And and I was lucky. But I think it's, you know, certainly for me, I don't know how you do it, whether you like to pitch or
0: you kind of go in with a
1: script. Um, but well, I guess you don't really have to anymore. But but
0: No, that's not true. I mean I've done it both ways. And um I completely agree with everything. You're saying you're you're absolutely right, and yet I end up pitching more than than writing things just because I know too much of just uh, about how it works and how the odds are more in your favor with a pitch because people like dealing with it that way. They like being able to put their imprint on it. They like being able to shape it. But you're so right that pitching, you know, you there's so many things you don't know w- that you're faking your way through and. Yeah. <laughs> making promises that you may not be able to keep and, and having to think about... Yeah, it is very backwards. So I can see maybe why this feels so fresh and, is because you didn't, it didn't go through that ringer. You, you did just write it.
1: Well, I think also there are things that certainly... Like, this is kind of one of the really early drafts, I think, that we read before it went to Fox and before it, this was kind of... I think this was the version pretty much that went out to producers rather than channels and networks. So it is kind of an early version. Um, And it's not to say I don't think notes and brilliant producers are incredibly valuable because they are. But I think what you are saying, is is that um, when you pitch something, it could be the best thing in the world. It could be the biggest masterpiece of all time and everyone can invest in it. And so whenever I just find then you deliver something and even if it's sensational, it's not exactly the thing that was in someone's head. And so you're sort of, you're up against, it's a bit like being, you know, it's a bit like trying to um, make someone fall in love with you who is in love with, I don't know, like Marlon Brando or something. It's just kind of, you're just, you're hiding to nothing. I think the thing that I love about having a speck that sort of doesn't have much information around it is it's sort of only judged on its own merits rather than this kind of nebulous imaginary thing that could have been, wonderful if they'd done that thing that you wanted them to do with their beautiful cousin who really needs a leg up in the industry or, you know, whatever, whatever it is, whatever detail it is that people want. But, but, you know, this isn't, I've not really, I think this is the only comedy. Yeah. This is the only pilot script that I
0: have ever sold. And how did, so at the point that you wrote this, where were you? In your writing career, I mean, let's back up because which came first, the acting or the writing?
1: So, the acting came first, but I was also writing books. So, I think so. I guess acting was first by maybe like a couple of years, but then in England, I was in a kind of long running show called The called Midwife, which was sort of six months on, six months hiatus. And so, in the hiatus, I I did that show for three years, and in every hiatus, I wrote a book. So the first two were kind of um, Harry Potter age, sort of children's books, and middle grade, I guess you'd call them. And the last one was like an adult thriller. So I started doing that, and then um, Jessica Knappett, who is, this, uh, I mean, unbelievably genius writer and showrunner, who um, did her own show called Drifters in the UK, um, and she's the person who gave both me and Phoebe Waller Bridge our first writing credits, and she's just the greatest teacher and a brilliant genius but um but yeah so she was writing she was writing the fourth series of her show drifters and she'd read monsters my most recent book and asked if i'd like to come in and you know and write on you know write on some of it and so that was kind of what really started but at the same time i'd been you know i'd in england i'd pitched a lot of drama shows and kind of they nearly you know they kind of gotten it's a very different system in england so they they kind of yeah you sort of don't you don't do it in the same way you do it in america so yeah so so but spaceman was the first first thing i sold i think yeah america yeah
0: and okay so so at the point there you were hired on drifters Mm. which had she read Dramatic works or had she just read the novels? Had, 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 did you have scripts that she read?
1: I, I had a few scripts, I suppose, that I'd written for things, that dramas and, and, and movies. and So maybe I'd given her that, but I think she really loved Monsters. And, she, and originally she just wanted somebody to, you know, chat with. and Because and, again, in England it's such a different system. You don't have a room you have a creator and you have much more contained things And Jess is the creator and star of her show. And she writes all the episodes and, you know, you might get somebody in to come in and help on an episode, but it's not, it's not remotely the same as a room. So I think it's much less of a, you know, her getting me in for maybe an episode to see if it worked is, is maybe less of a risk. And it was more, and we got on incredibly well and had the same sense of humor. And I was a huge fan of the series and, um, and so yeah, so it was kind of it was lucky, you know. It was,
0: so it was she wasn't crazy. handing you off a an out, a first draft to, to write of the show. She was pretty much writing the drafts. Well, of,
1: so I then wrote the so I then wrote two episodes. Okay, you did. Okay, of, of the six. And so yeah, so in the end, but again, it's a it's a more you know it's it's an, it's a more organic process. But normally, what you would do. Yeah, normally what you would do is give people an outline, and then but it's an outline that you know the the creator writes entirely themselves. Okay, like yes or whatever else it is.
0: Yeah, I guess I'm just asking you, the form so different from writing novels. You know, did you learn that on the job, or you had already kind of been writing?
1: Yeah, I sold. I had sold like, you know, I I'd sold a couple of ideas to people. I'd written a couple of script. So I did have specs. I did have stuff to show her. I just don't know that she asked to see it because okay. that's about someone like Jess, who's so brilliant and why it's so, I'm so grateful. And it's so important to, it's, I think the system in England is for, for its flaws, really brilliant because it does mean, it does mean that people are kind of autonomous. And so they can kind of say, I'm going to give this person a chance and see how it goes. And if it doesn't work out, I can fix it or whatever it is. And she's just incredibly, she's incredibly gifted and she's a really, she's just, she's intuitive. And, but she also taught me really quickly, you know. So she, all of the stuff that she knew and had learned herself, she just taught me super fast.
0: Um, what a gift. Yeah. So- it was- so how did Spacebound make its way to America and to Gail Berman? And, and do you remember how that happened once you had written that spec?
1: So, yeah, so I, so I wrote the spec and it got sent out to various people. And I met with, and so then I came to LA for a week or whatever it was, and I, and I met with a few, because I, I had a manager at that stage, um, maybe even an agent I think but I think just a manager at that stage and so um, yeah and a few people liked it um, but Jackal Group which was Gail Berman's company um, I just really got on with all of them and they were really kind of funny and I think so much of it is just do you like them do you like people you know are you all gonna do you laugh at the same jokes I think it's kind of interesting I don't know what you know how you feel about this but when you the number of times you go in and pitch something and it's just <laughs> dead like yeah. a funeral parlor. and it's just and then they're like oh we loved it and you just think but but I but what because
0: you showed they, no signs
1: <laughs> you just seemed so miserable to see me <laughs> and I think that's it so and I just loved Gail Berman she's just so smart and funny and cool and also she's the thing that I love more than anything, working with someone, is she's just incredibly straightforward. The girl loved it and she was amazing. And I loved her and I loved everyone who worked for her. And then I think they, because understandably I was, you know, I hadn't at that stage, I don't think or maybe I'd written an episode of Drifters, but you know, I was certainly by no means like showrunner material and especially not in America where I had no experience. And so they, yeah, they introduced me to a few very like experienced and funny and brilliant showrunners and so again you know you talk to all of those guys and you sort of try to especially like over the over Skype or whatever like in the pre-Zoom days it's kind of difficult to get an idea but but then I was introduced to Craig and Bradley who were just immediately the funniest people I'd ever met they were just really they were just really great I just loved them I loved all of their ideas they were so they were the perfect combination of like you know respectful because it's somebody else's idea and they understood that that's something that's very like personal but at the same time like incredibly wise so clever about how things you know are supposed to be I didn't know any of the rules and they kind of taught me all of that stuff again. So I was just really lucky to have worked very quickly with lots of people who um, were very good at teaching in a way that didn't feel like I, you know, I didn't feel like a student. They were all clever and kind enough to make me feel like a grown up, even though I really wasn't. Um, and I'm definitely, I don't think I'm a natural pupil because I'm really annoying um, <laughs> and I an know And I think, like Tracy Flick in Election. So, uh, yeah, to find those people that could bear me was really, was really <laughs> nice. Craig and Bradley were amazing.
0: And help you navigate through what's a crazy system once you've sold the script. So at this point, were they brought in once you had sold it to Fox or before? That's a good question. Yeah. I
1: actually don't remember. I think, I think we sold it to Fox and then... But, oh, oh this yeah,
0: would, I don't totally
1: know, sort of thing like, it's like good to ask Gail. I, I mean, I I, I I, don't know. Also, mm-hmm. it's kind of, it's it, it, the problem for me is that it's all slightly um, amplified by the fact that I was in London. Right. You know, so I'll come out for like a week maybe to pitch and things, but actually in terms of what, in terms of the kind of linear, linearity of it, I'm a bit, I'm a bit stupid because I, I sort of, it's hard to remember exactly. because
0: I was here, um, and yeah, and I don't mean to keep asking questions that you may not remember, but I'm wondering if there were if there were sort of comps for shows when you were talking to the network about how you imagined the show going forward. Whether there were other shows you were referencing? Um...
1: Yeah, I think I think that. The, the stuff that we were talking about were was, was well, it was more movies, I think. It was more Enchanted and Splash, but we talked about like, you know, certainly the sort of feeling, the, the kind of friendship and the sort of slight like heightened humor, maybe of something like New Girl. Um, uh, we talked a bit about, you know, stuff like Morgan and Mindy, uh, Dharma and Greg, even like those kind of, I think those odd couple relationships right so appealing too and and dan and g456 felt like that kind of those two sort of characters um but again you know we'd sort of given them the script so they kind of they were quite i think it was sort of quite clear sort of what it was going to be i think from the get-go the one thing that was harder to explain to people was the was the overlord and the kind of beta complex world because initially and in the first draft that we we read for your podcast um it was just gonna it was gonna be like um it's a wonderful life and it was just gonna be you would get gonna hear voiceovers over the kind of twinkling stars and then very quickly we were like "Mm, it's just absolutely it's gonna get so boring after a while and so then you know then it was kind of like well how do we get a really camp Quite kind of old fashioned, almost like 70s feeling sci fi <laughs> space world. Like, it, I, I think it just needed a lot of crystals and oozing, just oozing. <laughs> right. and, you know, but it's, but it's difficult with that stuff because, of course, the less you know, you know, we, we were kind of very reluctant to ever leave the Overlord's Palace because the more you know about Beta Complex. It's so funny because everything that the B- G456 says about it, like over the course of like all of our later notes and all that kind of stuff and different drafts, it's just so horrifying. It's like the most violent, senseless, cruel planet in the world. Um, and yet it's still better and more highly thought of than Earth. Um, and so, if it, yeah, it was important to us that we would like to see beta complex. Because it's a bit like Maris. Is it Maris? In, yeah. That's, yeah. That's- you can't see the full horror. It's better that we never know about right. the meat, meat. We can't see the trees that are made of meat.
0: <laughs> but so you were, cause you know, it, it's a little ambiguous at the end of this pilot that we read, it seems like, okay, they're leaving her on earth and and going off. It's not, it's not totally clear how the overlord and the brown man and the tall man are gonna Stay present in the series, even though you would you're, you're dying for them to because the, the the Overlord is such a great character.
1: So basically, the, the premise was that B four five six and her shenanigans would become the Overlord's sort of pet obsession, and so they have viewing orbs, um, and it's sort of basically they watch that. The idea was that that everyone in Beta Complex watches Earth a bit like the way that we watch you know, really like horrifying reality TV shows. Um, and the overlord becomes obsessed with G456 and Dan and their romance and is basically kind of watching it. And And because he's less bloodthirsty when he's happy, um, the tall man and the round man have to kind of keep slightly shivvying things along down on Earth to make things a little bit more exciting, kind of th- throwing, they're often like throwing in little, um, yeah, the little spanners in the works
0: to- like Hunger Games style kind of.
1: Exactly, exactly, to make it, to, to keep the Overlord interested in it. And then she kind of becomes a huge star in Beta Complex. Uh, a bit like, I suppose, the um, Truman Show or something. So, I mean, you know, and that is all very sort of vague. These, these were just like, you know, our possible future things. But we definitely wanted the despotic overlord to have a real soft spot for G456 and Dern.
0: So, yeah, so there's sort of a Greek chorus, but not completely just observers. They, they are affecting things in their g 4 They're buzz.
1: affecting things, but also they have their own stuff going on. Okay. You know, the poor man is in love with the overlord. And so that, you know, that kind of, that romance plays out over the course of it, the more, the unrequited romance. Um, yeah, and so, if it, so it was kind of... Um, absolutely Beach Complex would be a kind of place in and of itself that we didn't spend that much time in, but that was always a kind of fun, you know, it would always have its own sort of little mini storyline every series, every episode.
0: But the A story, the sort of main thrust, do you imagine, was this romance between...
1: Well, I think it was, was, yes, the romance, but much more it was going to be a flat share comedy, which is what in England, I don't know what it would be called in America. Is it called the same thing?
0: No, it's definitely not called a flat share What is that? A hangout show. Um,
1: yeah, that, I think that is probably the best description of what it is because, because truly it was, it's, it, yeah, it's a very high concept hangout show. I think it was, it, it was kind of going to be important, I think, as we went along, that G456's alienness somewhat recedes, you know, that yes, but she has to function. She has to get a job. She has to get good at that job. She has to, like, you know, she's going, there, there, there comes a point where getting back to beta complex is less and less appealing to her because she's more and more invested in her life in Earth, on Earth. So I think that was the kind of main tension was always going to be when they want her back to, to kind of as a queen of beta complex. And she needs to kind
0: of choose whether she stays or goes. Right. And, and her powers have left her while she's on... on a- oh, yeah.
1: She never has powers again, I don't think. Or certainly, like, maybe there'd be an episode where they gave her, her powers back for a joke, but, like, it was important that she was, to all intents and purposes, human by the right. end. Of the episode. And then she was just, yeah, she was just left. She was stranded in a human body. And there, there was nothing she could do about it.
0: And... You know, there's that line where she talks about what women, you know, this is what women on earth wear. Um, And that seemed to be such a a hint of what, to me, what the show seemed to be about. You know, this sort of feminist, um, more feminist than Splash in a way because of the time uh, that it really is about. How would you think women are meant to behave if you have just observed, you know, film and television and and these images that were? I always imagined going forward a scene where she's just been watching Pornhub on Phil's computer and she's learned all kinds of lessons about this is how human women behave.
1: Well, also, but but Beach Complex are very very familiar with human with human sex because. Um, because the humans are famed for their violence and their hideous and horrifying genitalia. So like, I think there's sort of, it's funny, the things that she, the things that do not shock her are interesting. And like, again, that's stuff that happens later, but like, she's not at all, she's not a baby or a prude. She actually finds like any sort of deep horror, violence or sex quite normal. Um, but other things completely baffling. So one of the things was like, we were talking about like, you know, Dan has an interview for a job and she says, oh, here's your lipstick. You got to look your best. And Dan's like, oh, men don't wear lipstick. You know, it's just like, obviously I'm not selling this. This is not like, is gonna definitely not going to get picked up by anyone else on the back of this terrible pitch. But like, it's just, but it's just those little things it's the little kind of weirdnesses of all of our lives that, you know, kind of a hangovers from God knows what, or the thing that I used to say when I was pitching it was like, you know, um, and we were talking about this exact thing, like how is it going to be going forward? What's the kind of message? And I would would sort of say like, and actually I can ask you, maybe it will work. When you, it's, it's difficult to ask people in America because there isn't parallel parking, but how often does somebody, a stranger, stop and guide you into a parking space or, like, give you guide you as you're driving?
0: That happens. We have parallel parking, you know. That, that
1: happens. Do people ever stop and, like...
0: Uh, yeah. I mean, it, it's happened to me, not frequently, but certainly that happens.
1: Okay, so that's quite unusual because for most people, People, when I discuss this, for women, it happens to them like every third time that they're parking <laughs> or doing any kind of maneuver. A kind of helpful man will like see. guide,
0: yeah, guide so them, the yeah.
1: supervise. But generally speaking, all of the guys I know or we speaking to are like, that has never happened to me. So maybe I'm afraid you might be a terrible driver. <laughs> 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 so, this is, so this
0: might not work. Yeah, usually, I don't know. Usually a whole group of people gather around yeah, to help. Like, I don't
1: know. But... Yeah, they're just like, and there's a child lying in the street. <laughs> and it's, yeah, so yeah. No, um, I think it's just it's just those little kind of, it's the stuff that is, well, and, and there's so much, you know, based on your attractiveness based on your weight based on your skin color based on your clothes there's so much to explain about the way we treat each other um and the kind of invisible hierarchies or increasingly i think visible hierarchies that are kind of emerging so it's it just seemed like a yeah it it seemed like a kind of great my favorite sort of thing is anything that's like you know anything that has a bit of social commentary but isn't a crushing (laughs) bore.
0: Right. Um, And was Fox, during the development process, were there, do you remember, were there things they were trying to steer you away from, towards, did they seem nervous about the high concept nature of it? Or, I know that's obviously very baked in, so if they bought it, they knew they were getting themselves into a, a, a space alien comedy, but did they... Do you remember I, what direction?
1: I think that they, I think that they wanted more. I think they wanted it to just be more kind of, uh, or the pilot at least, to have more characters, to have more places. So, so that so we introduced kind of workplace. You know, G four five six actually actually gets a job at Dan's workplace. Um, but i think like a lot of times then what happens is you just have so much there was so much then going and it's probably mostly my fault but but then there was then so much going on that it was kind of hard to focus there was so many, there were lots of different and then you know there's that thing i think that people always have of like introducing peril and right. having the unexploded bombs and all of that kind of stuff that people ask and talk about but actually for me with comedy and maybe this is cuz i'm just super basic I don't really want any peril. I don't really need an unexploded bomb or an antagonist in a funny way. I'm really happy for everyone. I'm happy for the highest stakes of an episode to be like, is the cake going to cool in time for it to be iced or whatever it is. Like, so I think that that in a way, and actually I was really proud. I was really proud of the episode that we all did together. And I think it was really great. Um, but I, but there was just I think all of us felt by the end that so much was going on that we we kind of weren't entirely sure it could have been like an hour and a half long pilot.
0: Right. Yeah, even you know in this I wonder you know there's the detective and that's the note that you end the pilot on is you know the detective sort of getting a little bit closer yeah. in. and it's you know to me I get that it gives you a sort of cliffhangery ending. And yet when I think about, well, what do I want to watch in this series yeah. going forward? It's not really the...
1: No, <laughs> yeah. uh, he, was a goner. No. he was a goner, I think, quite early on. I think I realized that and we were like, we kind of nixed him. But yeah, no, but, but even it's so it's so amazing. Like hearing it already, I was like, oh, just itching to be like, oh, no, I did change. Oh, I want to uh, sort of tamper with it because, you know, I think uh, certainly the second half kind of slightly meanders a bit. And there's, you know, there are things that you would, of course, inevitably change once you've heard it. But um, I generally like things quite straightforward. The things that I like are just,
0: yeah. Yeah. Well, I think if the characters, I mean, what you, each character is just uh, really clear and well drawn. And so... I think, you know, for me, just as a viewer you know, watching it, it's just like, oh, I want to see Dan and Phil and Venetia hanging out with this new weird roommate. And yeah. you're right, the, those hangout shows. And and I do love the over the overlord as just a flavor that you don't want to disappear, but your your stories you're gonna be telling seem like, oh, they're in that apartment. These are just friendship yeah. you know, s- stories. Um and but with this big hook, which is one of those things where in the TV business, it's so tricky. These you know, high concept shows, um, people often, you know, they'll buy them and then they get scared of them uh, when it comes down to, to, to picking things up. And they'd much rather something that's much more, oh, someone has to move back in with their parents or the parents have to move back in with their kids or something so low concept right. is what I'll get through with the networks at least.
1: That's interesting. I think, yeah, I think think possibly that was it. I feel like it almost got more high concept though as we were going. I think maybe it was, maybe it was that it, it, I'd be really interested. I haven't read, you know, it's the first time I'd read it for years when um, we did the read, you know, or when you like contacted me about it. And so, and I haven't read the like last draft we did, but it was still quite high concept um, at the end. In fact, even more so, I think there was like a conspiracy theorist who was, you know, trying to, who, who kind of knew, who had been tracking her. And there was a whole, there was a whole, there was a whole thing.
0: Um, it is funny, too. I mean, I know it's a few years ago and there's you have memory issues, but it, 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 no matter what, even if you don't, there's a sort of almost fugue state you get into in these rewrites because they're coming so yeah. fast and furious okay. at the end of the development process. And often you're just like, I don't even know. that you'll read one of these scripts and it's just like I put that in like I don't even remember that and why I did it and but you're is you're getting closer you're so desperate to please these people and it's like all sorts of things can end up in a script in that final draft. You're
1: absolutely right and it is it's just like you get into that yeah it's complete fugue and you you've rewritten and also there were there were a lot of us because there was you know brilliant Jackal and Craig and Bradley and we were all like You know, we were all kind of working on it all the time to kind of get it straight. And so, um, yeah, there were just so many drafts flying around. But I think also it's a funny thing that your mind does. It's a kind of, you're incredibly focused on it. And then when you find out it's just a goner, you sort of emotionally, it's a bit like breaking up with someone and you can just cannot remember why you were together. (laughs) <laughs> it's it's not, not that I don't absolutely love the script or like love everyone I worked with, but it's more like you just shut that, you shut it out of your mind because it's like, it's a dead end, it's finished, it's a sad thing that you love, but it's... And so, yeah. And I think also for me, you know, amnesia aside and all of that kind of stuff, between that moment and now, I'd worked, I just worked... So kind of constantly that I think I've sort of slightly yeah. switched my synapses.
0: <laughs> so so how does Killing Eve... So you and Phoebe have worked together on Drifters. Is that that's where you met each other?
1: No, so we didn't work together on Drifters. She worked on a different series to me. It was just that it just so happened that Jess had, you okay. know, had hired both of us separately. Uh, no, I met Phoebe. We were both actors in a film called Albert Knobs. Uh, and we were, yeah, we were like, it was you know, early, early jobs. And, um, and so we met there and, you know, always got on. And, and then I had sold a show to, uh, Sid Gentle a few years beforehand with, um, with a friend of mine. Um, called Daisy Lewis, we'd we'd sold a sort of period drama to them. So I knew. So and then and then they'd optioned. Actually, Sid Gentle had also optioned my first two books, uh, The Shiverton Hall and The Creeper. So I so
0: knew. Listeners know Sid Gentle is.
1: Oh, I'm so sorry. So Sid Gentle, the producers of Killing Eve. Okay. So, so I. So it was kind of that. So I knew Phoebe very well, and um, you know. Just love her and think she's the biggest genius in the world. And I had worked already with Sir Gentle, and so when Phoebe, so when Phoebe was because she was always going to go and do Fleabag two after she did Killing Eve one, and so they it kind of they needed to get a room together, which is again a very unusual thing for England. And initially, I like everyone else there was there to just be in a room. It was kind of an experimental room, and then um and then we were all kind of you know it was decided that we were going to write each have an episode and then you know as it went on as it you know as it went on it became clear that it's not an egalitarian process unfortunately it's impossible to do it um like that uh no matter how amazing everyone is and so i um to my great surprise and delight, promoted to that position. So it was kind of, quite luckily for me, it wasn't, I was suddenly just handed this thing that, you know, I had, it it was a much slower process. So when I I kind of signed on to do it, I was just signing on to, to be in a room for a week, just for everyone to kind of talk with Phoebe and to kind of put some ideas together and think about, you know, and the, and the and the show hadn't come out. So it wasn't a huge thing that it became. And then, you know, bit by bit until, you know, once we were much closer to shooting and the producers wanted somebody to, you know, be in charge of it, then, you know, and by then you're working so hard anyway. You're writing every second. I didn't have the time then to be anxious about it, luckily, even though it was extraordinarily anxiety-inducing. So it was, you know it was a sort of combination of factors really, I think, but I'd been, you know, working, I think a lot for a while, trying like everyone trying to get stuff off the ground, Um, nearly having stuff, having books optioned, nearly going, having TV series, nearly going, having, you know, so I think then I was just incredibly lucky that Killing Eve, um, you know, Have the have the system that they have, which is just giving people opportunities, and you know, it was amazing. It's unbelievably grueling because it's just so the volume of stuff just beyond. But it was also incredible. I mean, it was mad. It was insane. It was wonderful.
0: Yeah, and yeah, not an easy show to shoot, and so many locations and such. Yeah,
1: well. Yeah, but again, it's a different. It's a slightly different thing because it's a it's a slightly different system. You're not in America because you have a room and an ongoing room. Your show your showrunner can be as much a writer as a producer. But in England, when you have a much more a much smaller remote room, you know we didn't have an ongoing room. We had some amazing writers and people. You know, we all work together a bit before shooting, but during shooting, there's no room or anything. Okay. Uh, So you are writing constantly and so are the other writers, amazing writers too, but not together. So it's not, the one thing is, even though you're producing it in the sense that you're, you know, you're you're on casting and you're watching all the rushes and you're doing all of that stuff, you're not on set every day doing that stuff, which, so it's a slightly, yeah, it's a slightly different thing. Because, um, like, I mean, you just couldn't physically do it. It's, yeah. it's just, it's, it would be impossible without a room, a full-time room.
0: And so now that, uh, you know, the, the film has come out and uh, opportunities, I think, must... There, there, there's many more opportunities for you. And, and what are you looking forward to doing now? What, what I'm sure, I know you have things going on some of which I don't know what you want to talk about, but but what's the what's the dream now?
1: Just retire early, <laughs> divorce my husband, like marry an eighteen year old, Got <laughs> a coke addiction. I don't know. I mean, honestly, it's all been so incredibly mad and amazing. I. Uh, well I'm, I've been lucky because I'm doing a stage show I've written the book for the stage show of Cinderella based the script I guess um with so Andrew Lloyd Webber's you know composed the music and David Zippel who is an amazing lyricist and he did stuff like uh he did Hercules Disney's Hercules and Mulan and all those amazing films um so they're so we're doing that. So we're about to, the moment things open up again, we'll be able to start rehearsals and that's hopefully going to be in the West end in spring summer. Wow. Um, And again, that's another amazing thing because it's just, you know, it's just learning from the best. I'm just the, you know, when it comes to this stuff, I'm so, um, such a novice. And so it's just been really thrilling to do something. And also it's Cinderella and it's just a, it's a proper romantic comedy and it's, and it's lavish and it's going to be live and it's just, and there's a full orchestra. It's just like now more than ever, I've never, ever, ever wanted to see someone wearing the biggest costume in the world singing with a live orchestra. Like it just, I'm just desperate for it to start. But but as for everything else, I think I, um, I probably, uh, I hope I'll just do the the usual thing, which is I'm just about to finish a script and, you know, I'll, and once it's finished, I'll see if anyone likes it and that will, you know, and hopefully someone will. And if not, then I, you know, I'll start on the next thing. But in general, I think I don't, I, I think I'm unlikely to do, I'm unlikely to kind of do anything. I'm unlikely to make the sort of the relationship decisions before I have the thing that is, I don't know if it's, I'm so bad at explaining it, but it's so important to see the actual response to the thing itself rather than, right? you know, so, so I think even though there are so many people that I love that I would love to work with that I just, you know, I think though that not everyone is going to love everything. And like, it's a huge mistake, I think to be, you know, to go with the most exciting, sexy, thing if it's just not right. I was so lucky. I've been so lucky to work with just so many amazing people that um and who have been so like right and so good and so trustworthy that I yeah that I just think it's a kind of I hope it's the right thing. Because my head is so easily turned. I'm so venal (laughs) and and uh yeah, so so it's sort of better it's better for me to stay away and just do the writing. Yeah. Leave that, everything that, last minute.
0: I think that makes a ton of sense. I think few people can have the willpower to resist the kinds of uh Well let's see. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. We'll catch we'll catch back up. Titanic four. Yeah.
1: I'm finally um, find its right. I don't know. It's 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 so I'm just so I'm, I, it's sort of funny because we're speaking now just after, you know, the Golden Globe nominations were announced and it's so, it still feels so much like a fever dream. Right. That I kind of, yeah, I just do I still don't know, I still don't know what's going on really. So it's just so nice to talk about Spacebound because <laughs> I loved it. I loved it. And I loved doing the read-through so much. It's, uh... it's so- Wonderful. And I thank you for doing it. Thank you for getting in touch. Cause I really, it was like such a, it was just such a joy, actually. It was such a joy.
0: Oh, I'm so glad. Um, I know, you know, when I've done things of my own on the, on the show, what's so great is it's just done. There's not, there's not all that work, even though you have those pangs of, Oh, I'd like to change that. You don't have to, it's just that, that was it. You just have the the joy and, um, and, well, uh, it's
1: long enough away, I think, that you get a bit of detachment, too. So it's yeah. not, it is, you can be a bit proud of it, actually, in a way that probably you're not when you just hand something in. Like, I felt very, you know, I don't know, I just felt, it was just really lovely. It's lovely. So thank you.
0: Well, thank you for help, helping put that cast together. Um,
1: it's the best. They love the podcast. So it was very easy.
0: Oh, it was great. Well, it was so great to talk to you, and congratulations again. Um, we'll be we'll be rooting for you. Uh, everyone should see the movie when they can, um, and uh, and thanks so much for letting us do it. Of course, thank you for doing it. Can't wait to hear it Weird Stories about the games we love. Triple Click is hosted by me, Kirk Hamilton, me, Jason Shire, and me, Maddie Myers. You can find Triple Click wherever you get your podcasts and listen at MaximumFun.org. Bye. What an absolute pleasure that was talking to Emerald. Maybe it uh, got you itching to write a flat chair comedy. Uh, Dead Pilot Society is produced by me and my co host Ben Blacker and our associate producer Noah Finling. I also want to mention that our great new logo was designed by Stefan Lawrence. You can find him on social media at Stefan Patrick. That's at S T E F A N P A T R I K. Maybe you have some graphic design needs. He's great. Uh, hey, if you like the show, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Really helps us uh, find new listeners. Maybe tell a friend about us. You can find us on social media. Uh, we're on Twitter at dead pilots pod and on Instagram at dead pilot society. Maybe hop on there and tell us what you think of this new split format. Next month, we are going to bring you another, uh, amazing British writer, Tessa Coates, with a fantastic pilot called primates, which has a crazy story. It is one of the Quibi casualties, uh, Great cast, Maria Bamford, many other people, just a really amazing cast. So um until then, I'm Andrew Reich. Thanks so much for listening. Maximumfun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist-owned. Audience supported.